Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. I am your host, Blaine Bartlett. And folks, today I want to talk about entrepreneurship. I mean, the, the whole focus of The Soul of Business is, is uh, kind of that esprit that gives, gives light to, gives light and life to an organization. And every organization starts with a kernel of a dream in some way, shape, or form. And entrepreneurship. Uh, my dad was an entrepreneur. Uh, I think he had eight different businesses that he started when I was growing up. And he was successful in you know, the vast majority of them. There were a couple that were a bit of a struggle, uh, but uh, all of them had struggle involved in it as they were you know, kind of you know, migrating towards where he eventually sold them and uh, moved on to something else. But um, my dad loved to build. He'd love to just do something, you know, an idea, and then you know, just spark it and see where the see where the flame led. Um, and the guest that I've got on the show today, Paul Barron, is an entrepreneur. As a matter of fact, he teaches entrepreneurship. Uh, he's a mentor to entrepreneurs. Uh, I'm going to just kind of touch on a couple of things here. He's a mentor to uh, business owners and, and students at the University of North California, uh, Carolina in Wilmington, and at the uh, University Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurship. And when something came across my uh, uh, email the other day about Paul, uh, it was an invitation to have him on on the, on the podcast. Uh, I looked at what was there and I went, I got to have this guy on. I mean, this is somebody that doesn't just know about entrepreneurship from a theoretical perspective. This is somebody that's actually lived it. And he's also an extraordinary speaker. He's very uh, erudite. Uh, he's so he can convey an idea uh, very well. Um, and he's got a product here. We'll talk about that, but that's not the real reason I wanted to have him on. He's got a product here that I think is fascinating um, because I'm always intrigued by novel ideas. Um, but I want to just welcome, uh, first of all, Paul Barron to the show. Paul, welcome. It's good well, to have thanks. you. Thanks. Thanks so much for the background, not only your personal background, uh, leading to potentially your history of entrepreneurship, um, but also the introduction. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, absolutely. My pleasure. And um, this this idea of entrepreneurship, I want to you know, I want to kind of frame it within a question um, before we started recording here, um, I, I said that there's a, a question that I typically ask of my guests here, and this is a perfect opportunity for this, you know, in the framework of entrepreneurship, when you hear the term, the soul of business, or we even consider the idea of the soul of business, what does that bring up for you? Well, I think anytime you talk about the soul of anything, you have to talk about what drives a passion, um, what drives a person to do what they're doing. Um, and hopefully then that finds itself 
into the culture that you create uh, for yourself, for your employees, for your vendors, for your customers. Um, that's that's what really drives not only the success of a business and its potential path, um, and and hopefully um, it it meets the goals that you set out, but also gives you the ability to recognize those pivot points, which are also going to be necessary in the path of any business. And so that that soul, which I think is a great great word and a great question to to start off a, a conversation you know, really lies in, you know, what is it that drives you? What is it that creates your passion? Um, you know, it, it got me to where I am not only today, but where I've been for, I know I only look 20 years old, but I've got about 70 years behind me. Um, so I've, I've had this rodeo. My my background could not be any more opposite than yours in terms of the inspiration and direction you got from the way you described your parenting. Um, your, your father was an entrepreneur, had several different businesses, mine were anything, but they both worked for the same company for 40 years, um, drove in me the, um, the, uh, vision of security and going into something, whether it be teaching civil service, um, military service, um, whatever it was that would provide that kind of stability and background. Uh, many of us know today that doesn't exist. Um, in many businesses, it's very rare to find somebody that's been with a company um, other than perhaps civil service for, uh, and even, even that included these days uh, for 20, 30, 40 years. Um, yeah. Most people do transition um, several times in their career paths, um, but maybe it was because they were so totally focused on a single um, entity that they represented through their professional careers, both their mother and father did work. Um, and they provided well for me and my sister. Um, but at the same time, they also provided me with the desire not to do what they did. Um, and so, <laughs> so interesting how that works. <laughs> um, but uh, but it worked out. It worked out for them. It worked out for my family. And it's uh, working out for me today. Right. You know, when you talk about it in that way, I mean, we do have, I mean, just as you describe it, different uh families of origin stories um, that come to mind here. Um, and I was, I was watching uh, uh, a show on Netflix the other day, my wife and I, and uh, it was uh, about uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And then the title of the show was Arnold. I recently and saw that. Fascinating show for me. And I didn't know, I mean, I knew, I knew a little bit about his history, but what was intriguing to me, and you talk about drive and desire. Um, this was a guy that went to the top of arguably three very difficult uh, professions, careers, and he's actually embarking on a fourth right now in social philanthropy in an interesting way. But you know, to take the top of bodybuilding and then pivot, you mentioned pivot, completely pivot into being yeah. not, not an actor, but a movie star as you know the the best known movies action hero on the planet and then the most successful governor in the state of california in the 20th century yeah um, and and again that goes that goes to your point of the soul i mean this this was obviously a man and is a man and i don't care whether you like his politics or you don't like his politics or or whatever um yeah. but you can't deny the fact that this was a man so driven by a sole purpose of becoming that world's best bodybuilder and what he did to achieve that, 
you have to admire the kind of dedication, not only that that required, and it, it basically is a microcosm of many professional yes. athletes. But yeah. like you pointed out, Blaine, very few, you know, many athletes then go into another career of either philanthropy because of the uh, of the income that they've enjoyed on their professional athletic careers. Um, but you, you get also oh, movie actors um, that then go into other things and they get into the restaurant business or or clothing businesses or something else. And they find something else that, that drives them once they reach the level of not only success, but also the financial capability um, to be able to support a new venture. And that's no different than people who, who go on the paths that they may find themselves, whether that be working for a company or creating some entrepreneurial venture. Um, you know, hopefully you achieve some level of success. And that may be the beginning, middle and end all with somebody mm -hmm. like Arnold. Obviously, it was something that he got to a certain point and he said, OK, what's next? Um, yeah. And that's and, and that's admirable, I believe. I do, too. Uh, I mean, that's one of the things that I was most struck by was he reached the pinnacle and then he looked around and went, I mean, I could continue doing this for a long time, but there's no juice anymore. <laughs> yeah and and you know certainly something like bodybuilding uh, or whether career you know i play tennis i swim um you know you can just go so far um and yeah. your body will allow you to go so far and then of course there's going to be a younger faster bigger better stronger person who's going to break whatever records you might have achieved and is going to maintain that um because it, it just, you know, it's just the nature of the beast. That's That was a young man's profession, bodybuilding. You can only maintain that for so long. Sure, you can be in good shape like he is today. I mean, what he's doing today in his workout routines is still crazy, um, <laughs> crazy. And, you know. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you can only reach a level of success where you have to say, okay, what's next? Yeah, and that idea of what's next. That, I mean, that is, I think, one of the things that actually defines an entrepreneur uh, is they're, they're continuously looking over the horizon. Uh, and it could be in the same sector. It could be you know, completely a different field entirely. Uh, and Arnold, I think, is a great example of that. I'm going to go be a, not an actor. I'm going to go be a movie star. I want to be the best in that domain that I could possibly be. The idea of um, desire. I mean, I've always been fascinated by desire. And, and you know, the idea, the, the 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 distinction I make between desire and passion, and there is a distinction I make between those two, desire will get me over that suffering hump that is embedded in passion. <laughs> because I mean, literally, the definition of passion is you know, is imbued with suffering. I mean, that that's the that is the Greek definition of passion. Um, where where did you learn about desire as an entrepreneur? Because because your folks, you know, like you said, forty years in the same business or in the same industry, the same you know, uh, area here. Uh, I was working, and, and this is why this is, a, I think, a, a relevant question. Um, in one of my early iterations, I was working for a newspaper uh, in marketing and uh, advertising. And this was in my early 20s. And there was a fellow there that I remember today, uh, like it was yesterday. Uh, his name was Ruben Radabaugh. And Ruben is gone now, but Ruben celebrated his 50th work anniversary at the newspaper while I was there. 50 years he'd been there. And I asked him, uh, I said, Ruben, didn't you ever want to do anything else? And he said, well, yeah. I mean, he went into the story about, you know, the other stuff was attractive, but the idea of security and safety uh, was really important to him. And 
that in my mind at that point in time, I went, yeah, how much of Ruben did not get to live because security and safety became kind of the, the metric by which he gauged what he was doing. And for me, desire is equivalent to, you know, you know, I'm not going to use the word passion here, but it's, it's, it's that drive of living. And this is where the soul, you know, kind of comes up. Yeah, well, you never know what's on the other side of the door if you don't open it. That's for sure. Um, yeah. But at the same time, um, God bless the people who have find, found something that fulfills them. And if that is something that they can manage and maintain on a day-to-day basis, whether it be for them or for their children, their family, um, you know, that's that's something that is also an external force that people have to reckon with and the importance of that in their lives. You know, I was... I won't say I was fortunate that I didn't have children. Um, my wife and I have a two-legged variety. Um, we were unable to have two-legged variety children, so we have four-legged um, <laughs> children. And while they don't ask for the car keys and there's no college fund associated with them, you know, they still have, have some obligations in their health care. And, and when we travel, we have to consider um, taking them. And that, that alters things. We just got back from a two-week trip from North Carolina to New York, where we drive with the dogs. And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's limiting factors, every choice you make, whether it be a career choice, or personal choice of, of that nature, um, is, is dictated by your circumstances. And hopefully, you know, you, you find fulfillment, um, and the pleasure um, in, in those decisions. And if you don't, um, you know, um, you know, there's the trite, there's the trite phrase, which, you know, I don't like using these types of phrases, but often they're appropriate. You know, they say, if you never, um, if you love what you're doing, you'll never work a day in your life. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and so whether or not that means it's the same job or the same business or the same product, um, or the same service, um, that doesn't matter. It never mattered to me, which is why my career went the way it did. Um, mm-hmm. I had several dozen businesses spanning everything from consumer packaged goods to restaurants to software development to um, different you know, products, uh, retail, wholesale, manufacturing, product development. Um, and, and because I took I took things up to a point, I'm not going to say that everything was a trajectory, the, the traditional hockey stick that entrepreneurs <laughs> dream of. Um, yeah. it, it was not without its peaks and valleys. Um, I, I've had my what I call learning experiences, which is how I prefer to describe those lesser financial successes. Um, and hopefully you learn something from them and you move forward. Um, but uh, and again, trite expressions um, uh, are abundant when you think of how many times uh, it's not important how many times you fall down. It's how many you get up. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, I happen to have gravitated um, to a career um, that found uh, a, a calling, if you will. Um, you know, you have to learn what hats you like to wear. That's the bottom line. You have yep. to do what drives your passion. Um, you know, for me, I learned early on, I like sales, marketing, customer relationships. I liked engaging with people. Um, I didn't like a lot of the administrative activities associated with business. Um, I didn't like My hands a lot in of, here. I didn't like a lot of financial um responsibilities i didn't like hiring and firing um i didn't like the legal um you know these are all things i knew were necessary for a business to succeed but i prefer um you know they say what's the what's the best definition of a ceo 
or what is the definition of the best CEO um, and leader of a company, my answer is always the same, is that you're smart enough to know what's required and hire the best people to do it, but then wise enough to back off and let them do the jobs. Um, yes. You know, it's uh, it, it's important to know what, what drives you. Um, you know, for me, it was, as I said, the sales and marketing and the customer relationships, strategic alliances, things like that, that would help a business grow and find revenue um, and find its path. Um, but all those other aspects that are required of a business, I was content to outsource or find people who could do that competently. Um, but all of those things were necessary. Now, with that said, um, I started some businesses. I learned what I like to do in this regard early on um, and what I was able to do successfully. Um, and then I developed some type of a reputation uh, that came out of a relationship I had with a Russian company uh, for 12 years representing their products here in the United States. Um, all current politics aside, um, Russian people are, are wonderful people. Yeah. Um, generally, um, they, we, I had, uh, they had a wonderful technology and audio video and navigation system uh, technologies um, that they, I was actually a competitor of theirs working for an American company. Their technology was far superior at that time. I'm going back about 30 years or so. Um, um, and invariably, I was winning deals that they could not win. And even though their technology was better than what I was representing for an American company. And we were we were frenemies, I guess is the right phrase. After, yeah. a, after a trade show, uh, we'd sit down, we'd have a couple of drinks and boy, those boys could drink their vodka. Um, and <laughs> yes, so we'd, 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 we'd have a cocktail together and invariably the conversation went around to, hey, Paul, congratulations. I heard you landed that deal with Motorola or whoever it was. And they said, I gotta ask, we both know our technology is better. How did you close that deal? And we couldn't. And I said to them, very matter of factly, and this was no disrespect to their culture or their heritage. It was just a statement of fact. My answer was, you're Russian and I'm not. Um, and the reason for sta stating it that succinctly was that American companies like to do business with American people, people that spoke their language, that understand their market, their customers. And it was easier for them to communicate with them and get the support that they wanted. And they were willing to give up a little bit, maybe on the technology side or the cost side or some other factors that can be um, enhanced, embellished or fill in the gap, so to speak, down the road. But at least they were working with somebody that spoke their language. And, uh, yeah. and I don't and I don't mean just literally, but but culturally as well. Well, that was a relationship that began because they made me an offer I couldn't refuse and they hired me and uh, away from the company that I had, I had represented. And it was a wonderful relationship. It lasted about 12 years. I was representing, uh, again, products that had a much wider range of um, that that gave me the passion I needed to deliver the technologies that that got me up each day. But. After 12 years, there was a long time, uh, it was the longest time I had spent with any company then and since, um, and I had pretty much exhausted everything I could for them to grow their business here in the United States, um, and it, it was time to move on. And But I had developed a reputation as somebody who could take a foreign company's products and help them find their American audiences. And so from there, it was a actually one of my customers was an, as an, was an Israeli company that had a media product and they wanted to bring it to the United States, that turned out to be um, a horrible product. And I told them I didn't really believe in it, couldn't really see its value um, for this audience that they wanted. And so that was a short-lived gig. 
Um, but then there was a Austrian baby bottle manufacturer um, that asked me to help them find the retail and wholesale sources in the United States for an innovative design. And that's really was, was one of, in addition to the experience with the Russian vendor, uh, which was technology. This then put me into a consumer packaged good kind of product. And all, all that was really important to me, the common thread, is that there was innovation. There was something that separated it from what was readily available. It was the better mousetrap, so to speak. And so I represented them and did very well for them and brought that company actually not to uh, not only to increase sales and customers and retail outlets, but also then to an eventual exit. Um, after that, there was a Chinese headband headphone um, that was for children, um, a headphone that let children um, find calm and peace and listen to music and make phone calls and whatever in a headphone device. Um, and then there was a um, an Australian self-service dog wash system um, that was manufactured <laughs> in, in Australia. And these were all things that on some level I had some, the dog wash was simple in terms of its attraction to me because my wife and I are dog people and we're always searching for anything dog related. And we found this device and I said, boy, that's pretty cool. Never saw anything like it before. Did some homework, reached out to the company in Australia, said, you're not in the United States. Do you want to be? Um, and then I ended up um, representing them and finding a U.S. manufacturer, which loved the company so much that they bought the company. And that basically put me out of a job. Um, but I, I did very well financially for them. But it also said something else to me at that point in my life. And now I'm talking about maybe 10 years ago. Um, I said, and I've done very well financially through this short description I've given you. And there were other businesses I owned. I was in the restaurant business, sporting goods stores and some other software development I did also. Um, but bringing, bringing to, the, um, to the current um, state of my, my life and my career, um, I no longer wanted to be a hired gun. I missed the ownership. I missed the control that having my own company offered. Um, which I had earlier on in my career before I got sidetracked after the Russian experience and started working for other people, helping them grow their audiences and their revenue. Sometimes I had an equity stake, sometimes I didn't. But after the Australian dog wash experience, I said, if I'm ever going to do this again for a company, I'm going to own it. Um, and just like this American company that acquired the rights to that product from the Australians. And so um, I really wasn't looking for anything, but yet another company approached me that knew of my reputation. It was a German company, and they had a very innovative vertical printing machine. Um, and it, it was a, a company that is now a competitor of mine. Um, we've pretty much blown them out of the water, but that's another story. Um, and, uh, and to the experience of my current venture. Um, but they approached me, and I thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And uh, Blaine, do we need to stop? Do you need to take a pause or anything? No, nope, we're going to, yeah, I want to finish this story and then uh, we will take a break right after this. I don't want to stop you in midstream here. Okay, well, uh, I'll, I'll kind of bring us up to the present by saying this German company approached me with a vertical printing machine. Never saw anything before like it. Um, it was a machine that would print, it was like an inkjet printer on steroids that would deliver digital art onto any wall, indoors or outdoors, any size mural. Um, that it could print. And uh, I found it fascinating. Um, and I, I, I did a little dance with them in terms of they wanted me to represent them into the United States and bring the product here. Um, and we couldn't make the deal that I wanted because they wanted me, like all the other companies, to be a commissioned salesperson. And I said, I'm sorry, I don't do that anymore. 
Um, and so the conversation broke down. Um, and maybe um, this is a good place to stop. This will be a great place because I want to pick up. There's a couple of things here that as, as you've been you know, kind of weaving this uh, you know, histogram. Um, there's a there's a there's a thread here that I want to leverage because I and I and I want to bring it back to the wall printer, which we're going to talk to in just uh, a minute after we come back from this break. But I want to position it when we come back from the break and you know, you know with a with a particular frame, if that's okay. okay. Have that at plane, that's fine. Okay, folks, we'll take a real, real brief break here, speaking with Paul Barron, and uh, we'll see you when we come back. The nature of life is evidenced in nature. Nature grows, and all of nature honors the desire to be more, to have more, and to do more. Life thrives when it's allowed to grow, and ideally, thriving is what we also, all of us, want to be able to do. Unfortunately, at some stage in life, most people find themselves settling into what I can only call a rut. And a rut is nothing more than a coffin with the ends kicked out. You want to quickly get out of any rut that you find yourself in. When you stop growing, that's when the coffin starts to appear. You know, the simple truth is this, and this is true for everything in nature. You're going to die. I'm going to die. Every one of us dies. So the question we need to come to grips with is not are we going to die? The question nature asks us to answer is are we truly living? That's what motivation is about. It's the desire to move. It's the desire to grow and to excel. Have I lived? How have I lived? I'd love for you to take advantage of my Leadership Mindset Masterclass. It's all about providing you with the tools to ensure thriving for yourself and for those around you. Register today to receive the free introduction video and find out more about this acclaimed program. You'll also receive a copy of my international number one bestseller, Compassionate Capitalism, A Journey to the Soul of Business. I'm Blaine Bartlett, and I look forward to helping you thrive. Welcome back. With uh, Paul Barron's description here, in the you know, right before we took this break, we were beginning to move into um, this notion, you know, this notion, this product that he's now you know, the CEO of um, you know, here in uh, the U.S. The wall printer. But before we get to this wall printer story, because it's 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 a placeholder for something else that I think is really relevant in the framing of entrepreneurship. And one of the things that I've played with a lot in my work with entrepreneurs, uh, Paul, and, and I just want to kind of position this and get your take on it as, as we look at how the wall printer actually fits into this narrative. Um, Buckminster Fuller, now this may seem like a, a non sequitur here, uh, but Buck, yeah, Bucky had a book out years and years and years ago. It was a very small little book and was obscure. It's out of print now. Uh, it was called I Am a Verb. I am a verb. And the idea behind this was that uh, the verb is the action part of any story. The verb is the, you know, you, you can't create anything without a verb in play. And an entrepreneur, if, if an entrepreneur can land on what's the verb that best describes who they are, it allows them to make sense of a whole lot of opportunities. And as I was listening to your story, 
what came up for me, you know, you, know, you were talking about your reputation uh, of being able to represent people, but you also were intrigued, and this was kind of the key catalyst here about innovation. So there was the representing and the innovation piece that was in place there. And the verb that I was imagining, you know, that would fit for you is I, yeah, you know, I am an, uh, I'm a connector. I'm a connector. I, you know, I look for ways to connect innovative ideas to either an audience or a, uh, a, a uh, an organization. But that idea of connection uh, spoke very loudly to me as you were speaking here. And first of all, I just want to, you know, that's my assessment. So I'm not going to say it's the truth in any way, shape or form. But does that fit in any way for you when you think about yourself as a connector? Well, look, life is about connections. It's about relationships. Mm -hmm. um, there's nothing more valuable, nothing that's influenced me and that hopefully I've influenced um, more than the relationships that I've created and been fortunate enough to have over the years. Again, right. try to expressions, be nice to the people on the way up. They're the same people you're going to see on the way down. Um, I've been very fortunate to have a strong family um, and friendships um, that have supported me. And I don't mean financially. My family, we grew up relatively middle class, didn't really want for anything, but we weren't wealthy by the, the normal association of what that word might mean. Um, by, uh, but the people that were in my life from early on, I still have relationships uh, from those connections, if you will, yeah. um, that have started from the time I was born, um, strong relationships through my college years, people that I see regularly now on almost an annual basis, people that I speak to. There's one gentleman who's as old as I am, 71 years old. We've known each other since we were born, and we talk literally every day. Um, he works for me now. Um, he was retired, and I brought him out of retirement to come work for me as my PR manager. Um, but at the same time, uh, the connections you make over the years um, whether in in a career path, whether in athletic pursuits, whether social uh, interactions, um, you never know where they're going to lead. That's the yeah. bottom line. You know, you don't know. Um, you know, I always believe in being a trusted resource. Having conversations like this is a pure pleasure to me. Um, I'm not trying to make this a sales pitch for my company. You never know who's listening or who's going to resonate with. Um, whose career might be influenced, whose uh, career might influence mine, um, or whose life path um, has, you know, some some benefit to, to each other. Um, there's, you can always learn from people, um, and they can always learn from you. And putting yourself out there, being willing to make those connections, I don't think there's anything more valuable than that, um, because it's going to come back. It's going to either help you or haunt you during your path. Nobody does it alone. Um, <laughs> I don't care what you think of. You may come up with that idea, you may be innovative. You may be a great software developer. We'll come up with that better mousetrap. Um, but still, there's going to be other people involved, whether it be the people in the supply chain, vendor cycle, development cycle, um, sales cycle, whatever, um, that are going to help you along that path. Um, so, so yeah, you know, that's that's really what business and life at its core is all about, are those connections and the relationships. And that's what I found most um I found I could get most passionate about. It was creating relationships with potential customers, with the vendors, with the strategic relationships, finding how, even though I taught high school math for three years as my very first job out of college, my best equation is two plus two equals five, uh, because I always <laughs> believe that the, the sum is greater than the parts. 
Um, and so, uh, so that's something that hopefully uh, has helped me along the path that I've taken. Um, and it's led me to, you know, be inquisitive to, uh, to do my homework, um, not to go in with my eyes um, closed to not only what the possibilities are, but what also the roadblocks might be. Um, yeah. And again, that's where we left off pretty much with the German company that had approached me to represent them in the United States. And when I, that conversation broke down and I hung up with them on our last of several calls, I, I called to my wife who's in another room and I say um, in my house and I say, hey, come take a look at this. Um, now, invariably, when she hears me say that, um, she does <laughs> not come take a look at this. She cuts up my credit cards and then changes the passwords on all my bank accounts because she goes, oh, Paul's going to invest in something crazy again. Um, but this time she took a look and she said, wow, that's pretty cool. And once again, it was the reaction that pretty much everybody gets when they see a vertical printing machine, which now my trade name is the wall printer. When they see yeah. the wall printer working, it's a it's just a big machine. It's a $30,000 machine. It's not your $100 desktop printer. It's a commercial printing machine, but it goes to a site. It will print on a wall, indoors or outdoors, artwork. And when this German company uh, conversation with me broke down and I said, gee, that was pretty cool. Let me do my homework and find out who else is doing this. Well, I found out that there were only literally a handful, five companies in the world that manufactured this type of machine. None of them in the United States or even North or South America. There was the German company, which no disrespect to anybody in your audience who has German heritage. I drive a BMW. I cook with ankle knives. I value a well-engineered product. But I also, again, with my eyes wide open, don't don't accept the fact that because something says made in Germany or made in the U.S. or made in Australia, um, just because of that, does not mean it should be worth twice what something might be worth of comparable value and quality and reliability. And it turned out that as I did my homework, I found out that the originator of this technology was a Chinese company. Um, it was in the business 14 years, had many patents on some technologies that were important as I continue to my process of learning about this technology. Um, there was another Chinese company. The Chinese don't, don't only copy us. I learned they copy themselves too when they see another company that's successful, um, but they had no development and no real support for, the, for uh, a company who wanted to use their products to make themselves a successful business out of it. Uh, there was an Australian company that had a beautiful website, but had no product. It was a venture-backed company that had no funding. And so I dismissed them. And then there was an Indian company that had a very cute home hobby solution, but it wasn't what I was looking for, which was a commercial quality piece of machinery that would enable people to be in business and create their own entrepreneurial journeys for themselves. That was my goal when I saw this. That was the light bulb that went off in my head. Yeah. How can I create business opportunities for others with something really innovative that nobody's ever seen before? And so that then allowed me to, I did a year of homework on this. I found out that in fact, this one company was the best of breed. Um, I worked out a deal with them. Fast forward, I now co-own three patents with some innovation that I brought to the party during our relationship as it developed. Um, I now have where we started in 2020. I may not have been the smartest kid in the block introducing a product that nobody has ever seen or heard about before in a time when COVID came around and the whole world shut down. Um, and there I was invested 
pretty heavily in products that nobody knew how they were to be used and what they were. And they couldn't come and see them because nobody was traveling and people were being laid off from their jobs or working remotely, which actually turned out to be something I leveraged. Um, I took advantage of that by promoting what this machine could do on social media, hoping that there were some people transitioning in their own lives who were deciding, do I really want to continue on this job or this career or this path that I've been on now because of the pandemic, I'm either been laid off or I'm working remotely, having the time to see what might be next when I yeah. grow up or whatever. And so we took advantage of that. And, and while people were laying people off, I built up our team. Uh, we now have 15 people working for us. We have over 120 customers. We sell one to two new machines and territories because we do give exclusive territories to people to grow their business without interference by me or anyone else. And that's a, um, a feature of our business model. That is, but we are not a franchise. Um, I've been in franchising before. Um, not that I went out and bought myself a Dunkin' Donuts or a McDonald's, um, but I provided technology to franchise systems in a past mm -hmm. life. Um, and I knew I did not want this to be a franchise system. I wanted people to create their own brand, their own logo. Many of our customers have an existing business like painters or photographers or general contractors, and they use this for add-on revenue to mine their current customers for additional revenue. Um, so anyway, we've we've been growing steadily. Um, it's a it's a fun ride. I've got a wonderful staff supporting uh, this. Uh, we're creating entrepreneurial opportunities for others uh, throughout North and South America. Um, I control sales and the product development um, and the support and training and supplies. We manufacture our own inks and many of the components of the machine today. And we sell to Canada, the United States, Central America, Mexico, South America, the Caribbean. And we have, as I mentioned, about 125 customers as of today. That's awesome. And you know, you, you've just spoken about how connect, you know, that verb. Yeah, you're looking for connections. Yeah, you know, and that, I mean, again, that's just my bias is that I'm looking and, and listening. Um, but you have learned how to leverage that ability, I think, extraordinarily well. And it shows up in the way as an entrepreneur, you have been able to transition very successfully from pretty you know, it's a pretty eclectic mix of products and services yeah, well, you, you, know, been... you know it's important to listen to people um, yeah it's, an, it's important to understand what their hopes and dreams are um what i do is not for everybody wall printing is not for everybody um mm -hmm. it, it's and we also have floor printers now which is a machine we invented and developed since i came on board um, because people wanted personalized parking spaces in garages. So we have now have a floor printing machine too um, that could print nice logos on the bottom of swimming pools or in people's foyers to their businesses or homes. But that's another story um, and not why your audience called. Um, but uh, but the connections, you know, are important and the understanding and listening to, you know, again, I mentioned it earlier, to be a trusted resource to people. Um, if this is not the right opportunity for somebody and then not the, the, not the best use of their investment dollars or their plans. I mean, this is a business that does require work. It requires marketing. It requires, um, you know, maintenance uh, on these machines. Uh, and it's not for everybody um, as a result of that, or just because some people are looking for something different. Um, but, uh, and that's okay. Um, if, if talking to people, making these connections, as you point out, Blaine, if making connections, like having Zoom calls like this, we do three or four of these every day with people who inquire about 
um, wall printing and the business opportunity. Um, and we want them to get all the information to make the right decisions. Um, and if that decision means not for me, great. Whether that be from a capital investment perspective, because it's not that $100 desktop printer when they see one of our Instagram posts or Facebook or YouTube videos, um, you know, that's fine. You know, maybe they have a wall that wants a print on it, in which case that's something one of our customers will do for them. Um, you know, that's who knows what will come of these conversations and connections. That's perfect. And just, you know, connecting. How do people connect with you? What's the best place for them to go to find out more about Paul Barron and or the wall printer? Well, if they really want to know about the wall printer, again, this wasn't a pitch for that. But if they really are intrigued by it and want would just want to learn more about it, you go to thewallprinter.com, our website. There's a it'll take you 30 seconds on the website to look at a video and see what it does and you'll get it. Um, if you want to learn more about it, you fill out the contact form. But if you want to connect with me for any reason, love talking to people, like making those connections, Blaine, as you've described, go to LinkedIn, not an advertisement for LinkedIn, but it is a good professional network uh, to find like-minded people or people that may provide you with a path that you didn't think about or product you didn't think about. Um, so you could find me, Paul Barron, um, on LinkedIn and feel free to connect with me. Um, I'm happy to do that. Great. Paul, I want to thank you for being just an extraordinary guest. You have been a wealth of information and um, the experiences that you share are, are really a rich tapestry. And I want to thank you very specifically for your willingness just to share who you are and what you bring to the table. It's uh, it's extraordinary. Well, and thanks, folks, Blaine. I appreciate what you're doing, bringing people um, the opportunity to learn more from others. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. Uh, I am your host, Blaine Bartlett, as I mentioned right at the very beginning. Um, go to my website, blainebartlett.com, and you'll find all kinds of good stuff there. Uh, almost all of it's available for free in some way, shape, or form. Uh, but there's also additional resources that you can leverage into what it is that you're doing. And find a way to... Uh, Set yourself up as a center of distribution, not a center of accumulation in your life. And as you're a center of distribution, you're going to find life works a whole lot better. I'll see you on the next episode. Take care. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.